0: Ladies and gentlemen, RPA is proud to present Aaron's Horror Show with Aaron Frail. This is Jason Witter, author, illustrator of Tiniest Vampire and Monsters Eating Ice Cream, and you are listening to Aaron's Horror Show. are listening to aaron's horror show and i'm your host aaron frail we get to read fiction on the show and talk about some movies books you name it if you like what i do here please consider supporting the show at patreon.com forward slash aaron frail you'll get some books and other cool stuff for your support go ahead and also reach out to me at aaron's horror show at gmail.com Aaron Horror Show on Twitter or Aaron's Horror Show on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy. Thank you for listening to Aaron's Horror Show and I'm your host Aaron Frail. All right, Cal's uh, Revenge, the final part of Cal's Revenge. Uh yeah, it's it's a uh, You just go back and listen if you haven't heard it. Uh, You'll have to kind of catch up because this is the last chapter. But yeah, for those of you that have been sticking with it, thank you so much for listening. All right, let's go ahead and see how this one ends. The elevator dinged and it opened up to a hangar. There are many human scientists and soldiers in their turisticu armor. The drugs keeping Mac alive finally brought him back to consciousness. Cal lifted him in front of the elevator door. She pressed one of the guns they had confiscated from the soldiers to his neck. Hayden pointed the gun at the other people in the hangar who had drawn their weapons. Move, Cal said, and pushed Mac Yarnak forward. The hangar took up the entire floor. There were scientific equipment, various workstations throughout the space. It looked like a lot of the equipment was ad hoc. After they had learned about the location in the storage facility, Maker had surmised that they probably changed locations a lot to keep the ship secret. Since every inch of earth was settled, the wrong eyes would eventually see the project. A technician went for the communicator on the workstation panels. Hayden shot the panel and it incinerated under the tech's hands. They pushed forward into the facility. Cal ordered them to drop their weapons and huddle in one corner. Makjarnik, pulled his rank and ordered everyone to follow her request. Once everyone was secure, they approached the ship. It was a considerably sized vessel, probably had a crew capacity of a couple hundred people. The hull was made of a sleek black substance with a metallic sheen. It was shaped like a headless hulking creature with landing gear down. It mostly resembled the body of an earth creature called a bulldog, with a bulky body and four legs that curved downward. In addition to the landing gear, each leg had sensors, weapons, and other essentials. Legs also swiveled, giving the weapons and sensor coverage in every direction. The odd design of the ship was a distinct lack of front, back, up, or down. There was no noticeable forms of propulsion on the ship in addition to no noticeable bridge it looked like every direction could be the front or back depending on which direction the ship was flying. Considering Hayden had discovered some surprising maneuverability within the ship during the training simulations, he wasn't surprised. You'll never get on that ship, a scientist said, and even if you did, it requires an implant to pilot it. Why do you think I brought him? Cal said. She didn't want to tip her hand quite yet. Even though their chips were active and buzzing with activity, now that they were near the ship, she had full access. She sent alerts to her crew of where to meet them. While Hayden was covering the rest of the people in the corner, he was busy prepping the ship for flight. Uh, "'Do you think he'll let you go?' the scientist questioned. "'He'll be the one control of the vessel. He'll fool you with sensor data and fly you into the landing bay of a flagship.' ''Open the door,'' she said to Makyarnik. ''If you give up without bloodshed, I can work out leniency and help you avoid the death penalty. Maybe we can get you an asteroid mining colony. I hear they have nice facilities,'' Makyarnik offered. ''Open the door,'' she said. Even though she could have done it herself, it was better to let them think she was in control. It might be useful later on. ''He's right,'' Makyarnik said. Once you get on that ship, I'm in control. Do it. Cal pressed the gun to his head. Mac opened the door. A guard in full armor leapt for a tool that was on a nearby desk. It was some sort of laser welding tool. He shot it towards Hayden, and Hayden sidestepped at the last moment. What was intended for his chest only hit his arm, and the beam singed the fancy jacket they had bought for his artist persona. The other guards ran for their guns, and the scientists ran for the elevator. Cal and Hayden ducked behind the workstations and returned fire. Makiyarnak attempted to sneak away while Cal fired at the soldiers. Not so fast, Cal said and pressed the gun to his neck. Hayden continued to lay down the suppressing fire. You can't win, you know. MacIarnock said, "But I do admire your gumption. The scientist is right. Once we're on out on the outside of the ship, you will do my bidding. I'll take my chances. There's an armada in this solar system capable of bringing civilizations to their knees. How do you suppose you'll take on them? You're outnumbered and outgunned. I give you this one chance to survive. I do admire your tenacity. I'd hate to destroy such a thing of beauty. You said that to me before. I'm having trouble seeing it." Before, when did I... Oh, you're the girl from the prison. I thought you had died in the riots. I have a hard time telling the nigs apart, you know. They all look the same. Are you trying to get yourself killed? You need me. The threats are meaningless unless you act upon them. I heard you had orchestrated the riot. That makes me admire you even more. There's a spot for people like you in the U.P. military. I think I could make some requests on your behalf. (laughs) Desperately bargaining for your life doesn't suit you. I I think you know that. For someone with so much deep appreciation for beauty... It's a pity you said that. I do like you. I never had a worthy adversary. It's a shame. You are nothing more but an annoying insect. Goodbye. A gun turret from the ship came down from one of the square leg areas. It turned towards Cal. Mac tapped his head and mouthed the word implant. He had used his control to access the weapons of the ship, and at the last moment the weapon turret rose and it fired over her head it gunned down every pocket of resistance in the room makyarnik stumbled backwards his eyes wide cal tapped her head and mouthed the word implant while makyarnik was stalling for time attempting to access the weapon systems of the ship Cal was accessing the systems her own. She had captain's access and was able to deactivate implants. She shut down all of Mac crew except for his. She had set his permissions on his implant for training purposes only. One of the fail-safes for trained was the inability to fire real rounds. She was about to take away his access entirely when one of the walls blew out. A team of Turisticu soldiers, dressed up in Machiarnik's colors, burst through the hole. The ship had been hovering over their village in the morning of the massacre. It was now floating next to the vault skyscraper. What looked like a giant black bird of prey to her as a young and scared villager now just looked like a ship with a long hull and two wings that sprouted from the back, armed with gun turrets and sensors. Under the nose there is a hatch. Where Mike Erick's crew jumped out over the cityscape and used rockets on and used rocket thrusts from their armor to traverse the distance. They were swarming the interior and would overwhelm them in a matter of seconds. Cal locked one of the missiles on the hatch and opened fire. The missile connected to its target and set a chain reaction of explosions inside the ship. It spun out of control and smashed into a neighboring building. When she was Firing abyssal, her attention drifted away from Mak for one second too long, and he jumped on her. They rolled to the ground in a grapple. After a few minutes of struggle, he subdued her and brought his fist over her head to crush her skull. She yanked the med-pack from his suit, and the drugs keeping him from experiencing the pain from the pterillion blade were cut from his system, the metal that had been coursing through his veins and, filling up his eyes, came back with a vengeance. He doubled over and fell off of her. Hayden was at her side, along with Grenork. Grenork lifted her off the ground with one hand. She felt the pain course through her body as her run-in with MacAeronek had broken her rib cage. She had broken so many bones in her youth, she almost didn't notice. Grenork said, "'I came up when I heard gunfire!' "'How'd you get best security?' Cal said as she looked over towards the elevator. There was a dead scientist with his body halfway out the door. Granork was waylaid the man on his way out the door. The room was more or less under control. Some of the soldiers who had made it through before their ship exploded were taken out by another set of turrets controlled by Hayden. Granork had taken out the rest. Hayden and Granork had hefted Cal into the ship. More soldier ships were on the way. Both Cal and Granork took over manual control of the gun turret on one of the four legs of the ship. Cal scanned the area and saw no sign of Maciwarnak. He must have crawled away during their escape. It didn't matter much now. He would be dead before a medic could arrive. Without the drugs from his med pack to keep him alive long enough for the medics, he was a dead man. Even though they could control the ship from any room, they made their way to the bridge. Cal insisted that she'd walk on her own once they were inside. Every person with an implant had plenty of time to take virtual tours of the ship. The command center was at the heart of the craft. It was at the very center because they would be protected from just about anything, including all forms of weapons of mass destruction. However, most weapons of mass destruction would leave the bridge as nothing more than a floating life pod. The bridge was sleek and well designed. There was a captain's chair in the center with various stations surrounding it. The pilot and weapons were at the front. Science sensors, navigation, and other stations were near the rear. The odd part was that there was no controls, only chairs. The controls appeared in their mind's eye. To the crew, it was like they were controlling a ship. To an observer without an implant, it would be like watching people swipe at thin air. Cal climbed in the captain's chair, and she could feel the pain in her chest. A lung might also be punctured, but she had no time for pain. She pushed through it. and Grenork and Hayden sat in the front. The seat was too small for Grenork, so he tore it out and tossed it to the side. She made a mental note to find him a new one. The implant in her head made an actual digital note of her thought. Since they had spent hours of everyday training in the operations of the simulations, They took to it with ease. Hayden lifted off the ground. They didn't know the code opened the hangar door, so Granork blasted them off. They lifted into the air above the building. Once they were clear of the scan-resistant walls of the storage building, their warning sensors picked up ships screaming towards the city in all directions. The rest of the crew had been briefed, Cal said. They should be ready to pick up by the time we get to them. Hayden nodded and and pick the path with the least armed vessels in their way he dodged and careened through the cities of earth picking up touristicue vessels that had been mobilized to stop them Grenork fired on the vessels and took out a few of them cal told them to keep casualties to a minimum so Grenork only fired on a ship when they had no other choice they rove their way through buildings shaking one pursuer and gaining three more Grenork blasted Turisticu Enforcer from the sky, and it crashed into a farm building that was growing acres and acres of corn in vertical stacks hundreds of stories high. The Turisticus attempted to set up blockades, but Grenork would blast through them, or Hayden would fly around them. They were the fastest and most maneuverable ship in the fleet. Just as they were becoming overwhelmed, and Cal debated taking orbit, they saw the Citronite flying over the rooftops towards them. It only had one lonely enforcer chasing it, most likely a ticket for a no-fly or speeding violation. When Cal had contacted the rest of the crew, sure them to drop whatever they're doing and board the Citronite. Once they were all aboard, Maker was instructed to fly the Cytronite towards Seattle as fast as it could go. The Cytronite was a smaller vessel, much smaller than the ship they were in in the process of stealing. It was tight enough that she wagered it would fit into the cargo bay of the prototype vessel. She opened the cargo bay doors and Hayden steered its way towards the Cytronite. Maker did not stop or slow down. They were counting on parking brakes of the cargo bay to dampen the momentum of the Citronite when the prototype engulfed it. Cal quickly reprogrammed the cargo bay to divert all the braking power to counteract the forward motion of the two ships barreling towards each other. The prototype scooped up the Citronite, but Hayden had miscalculated by a fraction of a second. Metal against metal shrieked as the ship scraped the ceiling of the cargo bay. Parking brake force fields did the trick of stopping the ship from colliding with the rear walls. The rear gravity manipulators couldn't calculate so much force and any crew member in the Citronite who wasn't strapped down tumbled forward and got banged up. One even suffered a concussion. After acquiring the Citronite the prototype veered upward at an incredible speed to avoid smashing into an enforcer on the Citronite's tail. The enforcer nicked the bottom of the prototype and spun out of control, crashing into a small historic downtown building where the fancy tourists ran out of the way, screaming. Cal yelled, We got him! Let's get out of the solar system! Copy that, Hayden said, and punched towards the atmosphere. They wove through the countless space stations in Earth orbit, where they were met With more turisticu, a large destroyer 50 times the size of their vessel had been deployed. Hayden ducked underneath it. One of the perks of being human and ex-military was that he knew most of the weaknesses of the ship. Even as a foot soldier, they had to learn space combat. Foot soldiers could be drone fighter pilots while they waited for deployment on the ground. Combined with Hayden's superior flying, a fact that he didn't know about himself when he signed up to be a grunt, and the rest of the crew taking up a weapon system they were able to break free from Earth's orbital rings. They had to dodge just about every laser, plasma, missile, and space weapon imaginable, including a beam from a destroyer which burned a 20-mile diameter hole in the moon. Hayden had dodged it at the very last moment with fate that sent several touristicu ships to their demise. Cowell's reckless act had a hidden advantage. Even though they were in the heart of the Turisticu Empire, the government wasn't ready from an enemy within. All their solar forces were focused on threats outward. Stealing the ship caught them off guard. However, no matter how true Granork aimed or how well Hayden flew the ship, they would eventually be outnumbered. Once they were free from the mass of civilian and military stations orbiting Earth, They were in open space, and Cal ordered Hayden to punch it to the edge of the solar system. The prototype was much faster than anything Earth could muster. Once Hayden didn't have enough to worry about dodging between space stations and spaceships, their vessel outmatched the pursuers in both acceleration and speed. The pursuing armada turned into pale blue dots on the horizon. They arrived at the blast sphere a full half hour before any nearby ships could reach them the satellites were waiting for them to approach no doubt with the instructions to converge all their firing power on the prototype vessel the juristicus were no doubt thinking of ways to destroy the ship rather than let the secret project go free maker stood at the science station behind cal goop from half knolls Drip from Maker's arm after the quad helix had tumbled from its post. Maker insisted that he could just throw away the arm if it was damaged, and Hathnoll grumbled about wasting a perfectly good arm. Even eventually, Hathnoll won the argument when he sprayed Maker with his goop just to shut him up. Maker addressed the other crew members. It looks like I won't be able to fool the sensors or hack the satellite network. The fence grid is not connected to the rest of the galactic network. Maybe if you had more time, Sioux Lar said. The crew didn't want to say it, it to her face, but Cal had some animosity from the crew for a reckless act. It is not a function of time, Maker said. It is a closed network. The only way to hack it is to land on one of the individual satellites. However, if you land on one, they will destroy it, and you. Don't they send a protocol to the grid to tell it when the ship can pass through? Can't we fake a safe passage protocol? Hathnol asked. In normal circumstances, perhaps, but they had declared an emergency the moment the ship left the hangar. No ship getting near the grid is considered friendly. Well, we better think of something fast, Hayden said. A flagship is headed our way, and it's charging a planetary bombardment. Flagships were the largest class of vessel in the U.P. military, and one of the many reasons why species called humans the word turisticu, the echondrelial word for the great terrorizer. Flagships were rectangular ships the size of a moon. They were well-armed, housed vessels of all sizes, and had planetary bombardment energy weapons that could bore a crater on a planet large enough to destroy a city. It was rarely used because most planets with civilizations would lose their value if invaders forced an extinction-level event. The weapon was merely used for terror rather than as an actual weapon. If the energy a weapon was used against their tiny vessel, it would atomize them. Even though flagships were slow, lumbering weapons of destruction, the beam was wide enough that even the prototype would have trouble dodging it. Their best bet was to avoid it altogether. The flagship was inching towards them, and they were no closer to finding the solution. What if we don't try to circumvent the defense grid, but fly through it? Cal said. The image of a planetary bombardment energy weapon tearing through their vessels gave her an idea. I'm afraid that this vessel couldn't fly fast enough, Maker said. But what if we destroy the satellites and make a hole? The grid is fast. Others will take their place. It would be perfectly timed, Hayden said. But what if we send a shuttle with a nuke on board? We can time our escape to be right on the tail of the explosion. I don't see why that wouldn't work the defense grid was always just an invasion deterrent meant to slow down ships before this fleet mobilized exactly cal said it's meant to keep ships out rather than keep them in hayden make the calculations already on it sealar reese maker prep the missile aye sir the crew scrambled to make preparations and punch a hole through the blast sphere there is a full complement of tactical ship-to-ship nuclear weapons aboard, launching a missile would be something the engineers would account for in the defense grid programming. The satellites would blast any missile headed towards them. A shuttle would be torn apart just as easily, but a missile could be reinforced to survive in the death of a shuttle. It would be just another piece of space debris. The sensors on the grid wouldn't fire at it. The key would be to make sure the missile was on a trajectory to intercept the grid after the shuttle was destroyed. It would be useless if it was blasted in the wrong direction after the shuttle blew. It wasn't hard for Maker to rig a containment unit that would fling the missile towards the grid as the shuttle exploded. The missiles already had a containment unit that would survive a crash. Maker put explosives on the unit to ensure the force would propel the missile in the direction he wanted. It wouldn't be too accurate, but it didn't need to be. It just needed to fly towards the blast sphere and get close enough to detonate. They were ready to go within five minutes until the flagship arrival. The tower housing the large energy weapon resembled a staff with an eye on top. It was charging with crackles of white lightning. There were slews of other ships following the flagship. Even though the beam would do the trick, the Earth military wasn't taking any chances. Rees hailed to the bridge that the shuttle was ready. The shuttle flew out from the cargo bay doors, and they had used one of the Citronite shuttles. It was about to fly towards the grid when nothing happened. "'What's going on down there?' Cal yelled. "'The, the shuttle stalled out,' Rees said. The, "'The docking thrusters w- work, but the main thrusters won't fire!' "'We won't get it to the grid in time with just docking thrusters,' Maker reminded Cal. "'I'm going out there,' Cal got up from her seat. "'I'll tow it with another sh- shuttle from the Scythronite.' Y- "'You can't do that,' Hayden said. "'You'll die!' "'I got us into this. I'll get us out,' Cal said. "'No!' Hayden said and grabbed her arm. She pulled away and he sidestepped to block her exit. "'I can't allow you to do this. "'We would have made it this far without you. "'Stand aside. "'No!' Cal paused. "'She still had the Turisticu weapon. "'She could shoot him in the shoulder.' Hathmole could patch him up, he would survive. Before she could go for a weapon, Granork broke the silence. It's too late, look. Granork pulled up a view screen at the front of the bridge. Another shuttle was leaving the cargo bay. It locked the first one with a tractor beam and towed the vessel towards the grid. What the hell, who? Seular's voice clicked on the radio. Uh, hey, Captain, I couldn't let you go. The crew needs you. Hell, none of us would have a life if it wasn't for you. I would have died from the lung disease in the asteroid refinery or what of Dr. Fessler's experiment. I enjoyed time on the ship. I am honored to have been part of your command, but let's face it, implants were never for me." Before Cal could say a word, his shuttle flew into the range of the blast sphere. Energy bolts tore apart the shuttle in seconds. The other shuttle was quick to be destroyed, too. Maker scanned the debris field. The containment unit was successful. The missile was hurling through space towards the grid. Hayden quickly calculated the trajectory. The angle was off, and the impact would take a bit longer than expected. The flagship lumbered into view. They could see the weapon charging. The missile tumbled close enough to the grid, and Maker detonated it. Hayden didn't wait for Cal's order even to see if the missile had worked. He punched the accelerator. Within the span of a second, the prototype careened through a hail of plasma fire while the nearby satellites moved to close the gap. A behemoth-sized beam of energy... From a large staff on top of the flagship, the beam annihilated everything, its path, defense grid, and shuttle breeze alike. The prototype barely avoided the beam, Hayden accelerated to the maximum velocity, and they're suddenly alone in the darkness of space. Cal, for the first time in a long time, felt sleepy. A few weeks later, after they were just becoming comfortable with the ship, Maker knocked on Cal's door. The captain's room was the largest, though, in space, that was a relative term. It would never be considered luxurious at any rate, which was okay with Cal. She was a simple woman with simple tastes. At least she had a living room and a separate bedroom. Most crew's couches were also their beds. Come in, Cal said. With her implant, she willed the door to open. There were lots of functions that just need thought to activate though she could also create a control panel in her field of vision if she wanted. Hayden was attempting to teach himself to maneuver the ship with the thought rather than use the virtual controls. Cal preferred tactile sensation, so she turned on the virtual panels. I have decrypted the data drive, Captain. Oh, Cal said. Thank you for your effort, but I don't see much point since most of us are self-learning the ship's systems. I think you'll find this information quite useful. Uh, what did you find? This ship isn't the only one. You mean... Yes. They had built another. Macyarneck crawled towards a wounded soldier. The man's name was Briggs. He was a good soldier who had served under Mack Yarnak for many years. From the contorted mess of Griggs' body, it looked like a spinal injury. It was treatable wound. Broken bones were easy to mend. However, Briggs would not recover. Macyarneck tore the med pack from Briggs' suit. He attached the med-pack to his armor, and the drugs began to fight the infectious metal of the Trillian Blade. His entire body burned. He almost passed out from the pain. Makyarnak turned over to see Briggs. The soldier died. He would die, too, if the Trillian Poison could finish its foul work. Makyarnak only needed to hang on just a little while longer. The medics would be here soon enough. Alright, next book in the series is called Macchiarnex Ascension. So yeah, stay tuned for that one. Thank you so much for listening.